Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that Arabian camels, also known as one-humped camels, are probably the original bulletproofers. Their humps can hold up to 80 pounds of fat that they use for water and energy on treks through the desert up to 100 miles. You talk about intermittent fasting, that's how to do it. It turns out those humps weren't all water, they're fat. And so if you're going to eat a camel, which I actually have done, never eaten an entire camel, but I've certainly had some really good camel meat, Uh, The hump is the nice fatty part. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest on Bulletproof Radio has nothing to do with the cool fact of the day. And lately, (laughs) if you're used to this, you know that I've been trying my very best to link the cool fact of the day with the guest, and I just couldn't do that today because I was so fascinated with camel humps that that's just the way (laughs) it came out. (laughs) I hope that's all right with you. (laughs) Today's guest is Dr. Amy Shah, who's a double board certified doctor, trained at Columbia University Medical Center, Beth Israel Deaconess slash Harvard and Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And she studied nutrition and graduated magna cum laude. Laude, laude. How do you say that? Laude. Laude, there you go. (laughs) See, I actually studied Latin like in seventh grade and I forgot it as soon as I was done. Yeah. But you studied at, at Cornell. So you're one of those few double board certified doctors who also actually studied nutrition, which is why it's so interesting to chat with you. And welcome to the show, by the way. Ah, thank you. (laughs) So honored to be here. And you have a a large online private practice and you're about to come out with a health coaching program. So you're, you're pretty well known and just doing stuff that's different than what you normally see from medicine, but you're coming at it from the background of someone who's very well trained and well entrenched in medicine, which is why I'm so excited to to pick your brain. Awesome. Let's do it. And for people who are at work and listening to the show, if you want to look at Amy's website, amyshawmd.com. Shaw is S-H-A-H. Now, I'm like, where do we begin? Talk with me 
about what it was like before you became a doctor? Because you're kind of like over-credentialed even for a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Double board certified nutrition. Like what yeah. the heck made you do all this? Well, okay, so I was always really, really interested in nutrition. Um, and that's why I decided to major in it. Just how the body responds to food and uh, minerals and vitamins and all that stuff. But I found the traditional tracks for nutrition um, enthusiasts were basically a dietitian or... Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of hospital type of nutritionist. That's what most people got jobs doing. And um, it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Like I, I was like, I don't want yeah. to be prescribing, you know, um, plans for people who cannot, um, uh, you know, people in the hospital. I really wanted to help a larger audience. So I thought that going into medicine, oh my God, I can help them with their health and I can help them with their nutrition and it'll be a great marriage. Little did I know that Western medicine has very little to do with um, nutrition, at least natural food-based nutrition. Um, they taught us a lot about chemistry and um, organic chemistry and like what molecules, what are carbohydrates and fats. But we don't really learn like what food does, what food we should eat, what foods we should be putting into our bodies. It seemed like that was kind of overlooked. Even the food they served us was like processed you know, we got pizza and um, noodles from, you know, these Chinese restaurants. I mean, that was what they were feeding us. And then they were telling us about um, these little facts about nutrition. It just didn't match for me. (laughs) And so I kept searching. I thought, well, maybe general medicine is not where it's at. Maybe I have to specialize. Like maybe I should do immunology because the immune system and nutrition and health go hand in hand. And I did that. And again, I found that the focus was on disease and very much um, helping people uh, cure or manage their diseases rather than what do you do to maintain your body and prevent disease. And I thought that was so sad. So I wanted to incorporate a part of that into my practice. So that's why I basically kept on getting trained because I thought at some point I would be doing exactly what I thought. And then I realized I had to just do it myself. Like there was no, there was no tract that was going to get me there. Thank God for online internet medicine <laughs> because, um, and, and I really, really applaud you because a lot of the things you talk about in your book, I mean, it's, that's what the things that people should be doing every day that eating the vegetables and, you know, doing the exercise, that's what you should be doing to prevent the problem from happening. Not, we shouldn't just be dispensing medications for people who already have a problem. One of the reasons I became a biohacker is that at the very beginning of this, where I'd, I'd already started paying attention to diet and, and why my exercise wasn't working and my diet wasn't yeah. working. Uh, but then I started feeling really crappy. And I went to this doctor, and it was at the Palo Alto Medical Group. And I'm like, look, I know this didn't actually happen, but I feel like I've been poisoned. Like, like it's, everything's hard. My, my yeah. brain doesn't work. I'm fat. Like, I, I lost yeah. all this weight, and it's coming back. And I, I feel like the only thing that I've noticed that makes a difference is I take vitamin C and I feel a little bit better. And he goes, how much? And I go, I, I take three grams a day. And he goes, stop, oh it God. can kill you. And, and I'm like, uh, what about Linus Pauling? Yeah. And, and for people listening, Linus Pauling, two Nobel Prizes, took 90 grams of vitamin C a day, father of research in it. And this doctor looks at me and he goes, who? He didn't know who Linus Pauling was, and it just occurred to me that we were on different planets, and I was kind of offended, and being, actually, my brain was really toxic at the time, uh, and I was kind of a jerk at the time. So I, I was like, I told him, you know, won the Nobel Prize, took 90 grams a day. By the way, you're fired. And I walked out of his office. I never paid the bill. Like, they sent it to credit collections agency. I'm like, no services rendered. Nope, not okay. And this is a guy who told me, maybe you should lose weight. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. You think I don't know that? You don't think I've tried everything on earth here? And it was eat a eat a healthy diet. And I'm like, what's that? I know. And, and it wasn't his fault. In retrospect, he just didn't know. Yeah. He wasn't trained. I expect him to be trained. This was my expectations. And he wasn't a bad doctor by a long shot. He was a doctor. He wasn't a nutritionist, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing a major shift in in medicine where uh, this is, geez, almost 20 years later. I'm old, but what's happening now is is you go to the doctor and. Some of them will say what the American Dietetic Association says, which is poison yourself with, with whole grains and nothing else. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. I might have missed some details about <laughs> omega-3s or something. Um, and then there's this other side where I'm seeing doctors who are like, okay, um, you know, maybe you should eat paleo. And there are doctors who, hey, here's the Bulletproof Diet, and they'll hand out the infographic. And it's such a wide thing that 
how do people know when they go to the doctor? How do they know if they're talking to someone like you who studied nutrition and is is a physician versus a physician who's like, eat healthy and you know, have a muffin? Like, I- Yeah, no, you're completely right. It's so impossible. Um, most doctors don't know that much about nutrition. And I don't want to like you know, tr- rag on my profession, but it's, it's true. Like neither, they don't have interest in nutrition. They don't have the training in it. And frankly, um, they, that's not their focus and that's not what they want to be doing. They want to save lives. Like the focus of Western medicine is the antibiotic, um, principle, like, um, you cure someone with a pill and that's, that's the, what it's all built on. So the basic way you know is if they're only prescribing you medications without lifestyle measures or without a diet plan um, for your problem, like most 99% of problems will require all three. If it requires medication, it should require some lifestyle and diet, then you know you might be dealing with someone who may not know, or you can ask them like, oh, what kind of diet should I eat with this? Or what kind of lifestyle measures should I take? And if they're like, oh, I don't know, or I don't have time, that's probably a bad sign. Got it. So you, you can you can look at credentials, you can look at reviews, but you go in and you ask them. And uh, what I'm finding is that uh, this may be a selection bias because of the kind of physicians I talk with, but I talk with a lot of physicians. Yeah. Um, and some of them are, are very close personal friends and others, it's just professional interests. Like I go to medical conferences yeah. for fun because like that's what I love, yeah. even though I'm entirely an uncertified, unlicensed biohacker. <laughs> and so there, there's a change where, where they're like every physician, uh, at least the majority of them, is, is about helping people. And there's a few like, I'm just going to make money, money, money. But they, they usually just like, I don't know, they don't stay in, in the profession, they become like administrators or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I just ripped on hospital administrators in a major way. I did used to work in a hospital, people don't know that. I worked on computers at a hospital, but I did. Oh, wow. So anyway, um, what, I'm, what I'm saying there is that um, the physician desire to help is there and saving a life, fixing a broken bone, uh, acute trauma, burns, infections, like that is amazing skills. And I'm married to a doctor, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's there's something else there, and I think I'm seeing a shift in in the profession of yeah. medicine where doctors are pushed by by the the field of medicine to be even more like pills prescribed four minutes a patient. But their desire is to be like, no, I need a half hour to get the story. I need an hour, and like as a matter of fact, screw the insurance company. I'm not even going to take billing anymore. I'm going to charge what I'm worth, but it's way less than my billing rate to the insurance company. And people are just going to write me a check, and I'm going to provide focused, dedicated service. Um, what's going to happen? What do you see the future of that model? So I, I completely agree with you. If you need to get life-saving surgery or God forbid we're ever in a car accident, we have the best care um, techniques, surgical techniques, emergency techniques, um, life-saving techniques. I mean, the Western world rocks at saving people from death's door. But what we are horrible at is like, I hate to say the word, but preventative care. What's going to stop you from having cancer? Not a pill. It's going to be the way you live your life for the next 10 years or, um, you know, how you modulate your um, genetic Mm -hmm. predisposition. So I definitely think there's going to be a shift in the way we deal. I mean, people are so educated now with the Internet and people that they follow on the Internet. They have so much knowledge that now they're, they're seeking out physicians who have that knowledge or at least can partner with them for that. So I think there's like a dichotomy. There's still a part of Western medicine that I, I think is amazing. I mean, we can have people that survive these like burn um, from burning buildings and uh, from drowning. And uh, I mean, things mm-hmm. that you would never even think of. Um, but then on the other hand, we're really bad at like preventing diabetes and cancer and autoimmune problems and um, allergies and, um, you know, mold toxicity. I mean, we're bad at basically everything else but that life-saving stuff. And and by shining a light on that, the, the way you just said it, and, and with the work I'm doing, uh, part of my not-so-secret goal at, at Bulletproof is to change demand. I'm changing demand yeah. for, for quality food, changing demand for the kind of medicine yeah. that they used to call preventative medicine or integrative medicine or functional medicine. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. whatever yeah, you want yeah, to call yeah. it. Yeah. But when everyone says, I won't go to the four-minute-per-patient yeah. model, and I yeah. don't care if the insurance company will pay because I can pay actually less to my doctor, yeah. 
and my doctor will spend enough time with me to actually know my case, yeah. I, I think we can change demand of medicine, then that will change at least the actions of doctors, even if med schools still keep you know, torturing you with 90-hour residences and all that weird crap. Yeah, I think, I think that's where the shift is, is really in, um, like nobody goes for their yearly physical anymore because what it, it's like a waste of time, honestly. <laughs> like what do you do in your yearly? I went for my first yearly physical when I was, in college, or at least not with my pediatrician, but with an adult doctor. And um, I came out of there in five minutes and they were like, oh, you're fine. And I was like, I didn't, they didn't do it. They checked my heart that it was beating and my lungs were, you know, it just seems so ridiculous. I never went back because I was like, I don't, this was such a waste of time. We have to change how we do things. Well, no, I, maybe it's, it's, it's impolite to ask this, but are you like a Doogie Howser? Because you look like you're 19. <laughs> oh, <right>? well, thanks <laughs> very much. But um, I am, I'm pretty, I'm old. Um, in, you're you're I'm, just doing something right, nutrition. I'm, I'm like, how, why do you need a physical? Well, like, I'm, I'm, obviously, you're, you're well enough trained. You can't be 19. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Indian, so I think Indian people tend to look younger. Doesn't do well, bode well when I come in to see patients because they'll say like, oh, you're, you know, you're so young. And I'm like, no, but I have like 20 years of training, I swear. <laughs> so, so you're... Uh, It'll be good um, someday. You're, uh, I, was, I was amazed. I'm like, why would you need a physical? Because like really, um, people who are watching on, on YouTube, um, like you, you really look like a new doctor, but based on your credentials and your training, I know very well you're not. Yeah. So you're, it, that's also something I look for, by the way, in a physician. If your doctor looks healthy, yeah. that's, that's a good sign. If your doctor is 80 pounds overweight, maybe there's something that they haven't looked at uh, on themselves. And I'm not saying that it, it, you know, it, it is okay to have a doctor who's sick as long as they know why they're sick and they're working on it. But if they're like, oh, this is just my way because I don't follow my own advice, like that's because you can't follow your own advice because it's bad advice. Oh, I right? have to tell you that all those years of training, if you looked at what people ate and how they slept and how they treated themselves and what kind of stress they... I mean, it was, it's enough to age you like 20 years. I cannot believe yeah. that they're doing this to themselves. I mean, it's not them, it's like the pressures of the mm -hmm. system. And then you're supposed to tell people not to do it. It doesn't even make sense because they they, it's very hard to reverse those bad habits. Like, you know, I know that my doctor friends, they, most of them still really love um, processed food because it's like years of ingrained um, tendencies and practice, it's like quitting smoking. It's really tough. Yeah. So it is. Well, let's, let's switch gears a bit because there's, there's two areas where I really want to dig in with you. One is that you are one of the, I'd say the minority of physicians who really understands toxic mold. And uh, clearly people who listen to this know I just did the documentary Moldy. Yeah. Go to moldy, yes. moldymovie.com. You can check it out. I heard your interview with, um, with uh, uh, the, the guy, the doctor who um, was on there, I forget his name. Well, I had like a dozen of them on there. Or maybe um, it was one of them. Probably the, the, guy, in, uh, the guy in Roswell, Scott, uh, or... No, it was no? the other one. Okay, anyways, go uh, ahead. Anyway, Doug Kaufman, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, and so there's, there's a, a bunch of different mold yeah. people. Oh, okay, and, got it. Yeah, there's, uh, uh, there's uh, Richie Shoemaker. Oh, Richie Shoemaker. Yeah, the one he's the I one saw, who's like... Yeah, I, I heard you yeah, Richie's like, it's all about inflammation and, yes. and autoimmunity from mold. Yes. And then there's, um, so, but he's like, doesn't pay a lot of attention to the mycotoxin story. And there's another group of, of doctors who are like, okay, inflammation, we all understand autoimmunity, but like if you directly poison the mitochondria and the cells with these things. So like, like I'm finding even within the mold community, there's like people saying, what's well, this, it's this, it's this, it's yeah. this. And I think it's all of them yeah, depending so on your too. genetics. I think so and, too. Okay, you do too. Yeah. That was one of my first questions for you. <laughs> I, I see I see so many people, uh, because I am in the allergy, inflammation, asthma space, that um, come in with all kinds of symptoms from toxic mold or just environmental mold that they don't know what's causing. And they'll say, you know, all kinds of inflammatory symptoms, but then they'll also have like profound fatigue and brain fog. So it's, it seems like it's a combination of everything. And I know as soon as they tell me their symptoms, I can almost predict that it's uh, a mold sensitivity. It, it's awesome that you said that. Yeah. I have the same experience when, when some uh, clients on the phone, yeah. it, I'm like, did you by any chance have like water yeah. damage? Like, yes, yeah. because like everything went to hell all at once for yes. them, right? And it's pretty quick and it's pretty profound and you don't get that with a lot of other things. 
Um, and we often will say, okay, you should look around. Um, sometimes people will not know about their water leak or they'll check behind their washer dryer or they'll be in an apartment and they'll say, oh, when I go to the beach, I feel like a million bucks. And then I come back home and that's when I know that um, sounds like mold. I, I mentioned earlier that like I felt like I'd been poisoned when I went to the doctor. It, it turns out I had moved into a condo and I didn't know this because I didn't understand that water damage mattered. Um, but I pulled out the carpet in the bedroom when we remodeled and it was soaking wet and I tossed it and then I put in some new flooring um, because the floor dried up. And it turns out there was a leaky water heater on the other side of the wall and the back of the wall was covered in slimy black mold, which was almost certainly stachybotrys, the worst one, yes. based on like my whole life went to hell. And I heard as I'm like totally, I just moved to Silicon Valley. I'm like doing all this stuff and, and it was like every day someone was putting more rocks in my backpack and I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, and so it, it took several years, like, geez, probably seven years to really unravel what had happened and what it did to my brain. But my brain on an on a fMRI or a spec scan yeah. looked like someone who was doing like, like street drugs. Like I had a complete holes in my brain. Oh my God. And, but the thing is that doctor who didn't know that the vitamin C wouldn't kill me, if he had been trained to recognize that a patient with recent weight gain and brain fog and fatigue and joint pain and pneumonia and chronic sinusitis and all these other things, that it's not a crazy person, that it's someone who might have an environmental thing, he would have saved me seven years and hundreds of thousands of dollars of experiments and all this other stuff. And that's one of the reasons I made a documentary. But, but all right, how do you know all this stuff? And many of these other physicians don't know. Yeah, I think you're right about raising awareness. I think that people just don't know how to put a, a lot of these unrelated, seemingly unrelated symptoms together. But I think the the biggest thing, I think you mentioned it to me when we had gone to um, the Mind Body Green, the Miraval Conference, how you can, yeah, that was great. you can walk into a place, people that have mold sensitivity, they can just walk into a place and feel so horrible for days that that's, you know if you have it because you can remember that. You can know when you've been to a place that has mold. Um, I think I think you're right. It's just like there's just so much to know in medicine, just like there's so much to know in um, biohacking. There's some people who are specialists in certain areas and some people who are not, and they may know really well some other part of medicine and just not know anything about environmental um, allergens or toxins. So... Um, it is unfortunate. I wish I, I wish I could say that, you know, I probably don't know everything there is to know about, you know, um, pancreatic surgery. I don't know. I'm just like, sure. so like in the same way, I feel bad because general physicians are are like bombarded with so many different topics um, yeah, that it's, it's almost hard. difficult to know what to know. They're still they're still working in the old days where they're taught to recognize um, you know, bacterial infection or, you know, um, how to figure out if you have um, a bad infection that requires hospitalization. They're not really good at this stuff. So it's good that you're raising awareness about that. I think it's necessary. It's awesome. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it may not be possible for a doctor to know all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and even like, so you and I are pretty well versed in this. I had one, uh, one client who had all of the symptoms of, of mold toxicity, uh, just all of them, and it was correlated with, it, with where they were living. And it turns out it was that the apartment underneath them was using uh, natural gas cooking, and oh all God. of the cooking fumes, including the natural gas, were being ventilated in their apartment. Oh so it was God. actually combustion byproducts, not mold, but I would have bet on mold 100% because they had all the symptoms, yeah. right? So I didn't know that I'd never heard of that setup yeah. in the apartment either. Yeah. But so like there's all kinds of stuff where everyone won't know, but recognizing that people aren't crazy when 15 symptoms happens is like the first step, right? Yeah, well, some um, some of the sinus specialists um, uh, and you know allergy and asthma specialists, they think like everything is caused by mold now, sinusitis, yeah. um, pneumonia, you know, bronchitis. They, they basically think anything in the airway that's always inflamed that keeps coming back mm -hmm. is mold related. And there's a whole school of people who believe it, it has nothing to do uh, with bacteria. I want to hug them. My, my story, I had strep throat every month as a kid. I lived in a basement that had mold behind the, the wood paneling in the walls. Oh my God. It, it, was, it had been a flooded basement. Nosebleeds 10 times a day, bruising, obesity, arthritis at 14, rashes, asthma, the whole, like you could predict this. Mold tests or allergy tests, they said I was allergic to cockroaches and nothing else. Like they, skin tests don't yeah, work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I was on antibiotics every month for years. And when they took my tonsils out at 16, I got my first sinus infection the next week. Oh my God. And then I was on antibiotics for another 10 years for sinus infections. And it was mold. The whole time it was mold. And I took buckets of antibiotics and I'm still paying the cost. Like, like yeah. it, it's, it's amazing what you know, 20 years of antibiotics will do to your body, but it's not good. You're, you trash your gut, your microbiome, basically. Yeah. That, that's why that's why this is good. You're in the perfect you're like re repopulating your microbiome. I always tell parents that all the time. Parents will always ask me. I mean, you'll it's unbelievable, but people will ask me for antibiotics to, um because they just don't know any better all the time for uh, for symptoms like what you were having and I'll say to them, "No, it's not going to work. In fact, it's going to make things worse in the long term." And so really sometimes it's a hard sell. Let's put it that way. So let's say someone walks in the door. They don't know they have mold. How are they going to present it? Like, how, how would they know? So, so, you know, the very, very obvious story um, would be someone like you. Someone who's getting chronic sinus infections, chronic uh, bronchial or lung infections, fatigue, headaches, um, skin rashes, autoimmune-type symptoms, joint pains, uh, just kind of like unrelated things that seem to um, have started all at once. And then um, the kicker is if you say, sometimes they can't tell, but the kicker is when you say, okay, when you travel somewhere or you go somewhere mm-hmm. else or or somewhere in the history says, oh, well, but then, you know, a beach is a classic story. You know, I went on vacation to the beach and on the ocean, I feel so great. Or, I, you know, I went to this other country and, um, I feel amazing. So that's pretty much the giveaway. So the classic sign, I don't, we don't have to do any testing, nothing. You're, that's, we pretty much say, you need to look for this. Um, yeah. And it may, like you said, it, sometimes it turns out to be something else, but most of the time it turns out to be environmental toxin mold. Now, in your practice, in your experience, uh, and this is something I asked everyone in the movie yeah. too, but how, how prevalent is this? Oh my God. I see it every day. That says a lot. Um, about 25% of people have genes that make them more susceptible to this. And everyone gets oxidative DNA damage from exposure to mycotoxins. Like that's how it works. Yeah. And, and it's permanent damage, yeah. right? And, and everyone can excrete mycotoxins at some level or another. Otherwise, we'd be dead right. because they're, we were they're constantly every, exposed yeah, to all levels. Yeah. What does chronic exposure to mycotoxins do to us, though? Like, oh, like every day someone's pouring a little bit in your in your food, or you know. Well, you know, I definitely know that it can cause some, like you you mentioned, some permanent damage, mitochondrial damage. It's really obviously not something that you want to be doing on a chronic basis without um, having a way um, to release them or get rid of them. Yeah. So yeah. And- some of the principles behind the Bulletproof Diet are around increasing excretion of all fat-borne toxins, yes. whether they're man-made or, or nature-made. I don't really care. Yeah. If it's a lipophoric, that yes. makes a fat-borne yeah. toxin, yeah. you got to get that out of there because yeah. if you let it sit and, re- and percolate and, and recirculate, it'll get into your brain. And it doesn't matter if you're one of the sensitive people or not. You get these things in your brain, you're not going to perform the way you could. Yeah. There's so many toxins, exactly what you said. There's so many um, fat uh, toxin that gets stored in your fat that don't get out of there very easily. So yeah, definitely. What do you recommend for patients who want to rec- who want to lose weight quickly? Lose weight quickly? Um, yeah, like I have I have a hundred pounds of fat. I want to lose it in a hundred days. What oh, would you say to someone I, who wanted to do that? I I don't know. I don't have any suggestions for the a uh, hundred pounds in a hundred days is very very quick and. I don't think I know. Do you know of a way of doing that? <laughs> I've I had one client lose seventy five pounds in seventy five days. What? Yeah, no, it, it's it's doable. But here's the thing: all we did is we just cut off his legs. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's what you were going to say. I'm like, that's what I would I would say is my answer. No, what? Um, there's I, I wrote this up. It's called the Rapid Fat Loss Protocol, and okay. it's subtitled How to Lose Weight Faster Than You Should. Okay. And that's where I was kind of going yeah. with my question. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. to mention that, but it was to be like. The biggest reason on there, I'm like, don't do this unless it's like two weeks for a wedding yeah, or something because yeah. of the toxins stored in our fat. If you lose the fat that fast, yeah. 
Uh, and you'll get brain fog because all of the crap that your body was sequestering in the fat so it didn't go into your brain, it will get released. And if you're not biting and excreting when you lose the weight, you're going to you're gonna mess up your brain. Like yeah. it's so bad to lose weight too quickly, yes. but you can do it. Yes. Right. What is that protocol, may I ask? Sure. It's uh, basically, it, it was one of the things behind the bulletproof intermittent fasting idea. Oh, right. Where you force yourself into ketosis, yeah. and what you do is you basically go on a, a fat-only type of thing. It's yeah. bulletproof coffee twice a day yeah. without protein, yeah. and then you uh, you'll experience some hunger. You take amino acids yeah. to stop weight loss, but you do a ton of detox things like uh, the bulletproof activated charcoal, glutathione, and it, some other things, vitamin C. Release all the toxins. It, right yeah, now. chlorella, like every toxin-binding agent you can get, and you go into really deep ketosis really quickly with relatively limited calories and you turn off hunger using ketones. So it, okay. it, you dump fat, and it's, it's worked for almost everyone, and except a few people, uh, one woman with a post-pregnancy just jacked hormones. She couldn't lose weight no matter what she did, and yeah. I've never had someone not lose weight on that. But it's actually not healthy for you. Like yeah. You can lose weight the healthy way yeah. using like the normal yeah. bulletproof intermittent fasting, using a protein fast once a week, and just like eating healthy and quality stuff. I, I mean, I love intermittent fasting. I think it's like a really, really great way for both inflama inflammation purposes, yeah. um, longe longevity. I mean, there's so many health benefits to it besides just the weight loss benefits. Um, and it's very doable. I think, I think people are so scared. Anytime I mention that to someone, there's so many people so scared because so many trainers and nutritionists and all these health experts are still telling people to eat every two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you have to carry like Tupperware with you everywhere you go to follow this this crazy plan of keeping your metabolism, um, you know, activated or whatever they call it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting because there's so many health benefits. I feel like that's the way maybe it should. I mean, I, I'm not telling people to go on 24, 48 um, fast regularly. I'm saying more like a stretched out fast between an early dinner and a late breakfast or whatever. So this is a question. I, I One of the, the starred questions on my list of things yeah. I wanted to ask you today. I have uh, a lot of women. In fact, there's, believe it or not, there's more women uh, on, on Bulletproof in a lot of categories than men. Oh, wow. Uh, because uh, like there's just, just it, it's something that women want to do. Women want to kick more ass as much as men yeah. do. And... With, with intermittent fasting, there's plain intermittent fasting where you eat nothing in the morning. And I've had a lot of women complain of, of adrenal fatigue from yeah. doing that. And I even wrote a blog post about women in, in intermittent fasting. So then it's like, well, at least add some fat in the morning so you, you're, you don't get the hypoglycemic yeah. effects, yeah. but you still don't have protein. But whether it's the bulletproof intermittent fasting or plain intermittent fasting, for women, given adrenals and, yeah. and monthly fluctuations of hormones, and the fact that, well, this is kind of obvious, but you are a woman and yeah. you practice intermittent yeah. fasting. Yeah. What should women know about intermittent fasting? Yeah, it, it's totally different for women than it is yeah. for men. I and, and not all women, because there'll be, I know there's tons of women who'll say, oh no, I've been doing it for you know years and I had no problems. But most women, their hormones are very, very sensitive, especially our hunger hormones, uh, because we were, uh, made are wired to carry a fetus. And so when your body senses starvation, um, it's going to turn on all these hunger hormones and all the adrenal, all the cortisol. Um, and you're basically, I think every woman can attest to this because every woman has dieted at some point where they completely underate um, without having fat or um, amino acids or whatever. And they notice that the next couple of days or maybe the next day at least they're tired they're fat adrenal yeah. uh, burnout and then they're hungry like they've net like nothing satisfies their hunger it's the body's response because they don't want you to starve yourself and um yeah. women are just much much more their bodies are just wired to be much more sensitive the pituitary the ovaries so i always tell um, women that most of the time you want to start with a shorter a more gentle mm -hmm. fast and you want to do it maybe every other day in the beginning yes, um, not every day yeah because it's just going to jack up your hormones and you're going to end up hurting yourself um uh, adrenally and you know some people stop having women stop having their menstrual um, cycles they will have all kinds of rebound symptoms um you know their thyroid their adrenals everything gets messed up so i think that 
um, I call it like, uh, um, you know, like a crescendo fast. So basically you do um, 16 to even less than 16 hours if you want, like 14 to 16 hours, three days, three non-consecutive days a week. And on those days, I tell them not to do high intensity because you know how women are. Yeah. Uh, a little is good, the more is better. Like they'll be calorie restricting themselves and intermittent fasting and doing CrossFit, you know, every mm -hmm. single day. And that's, that is, um, a recipe for adrenal burnout for that'll sure. That'll break you. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the concept because, you know, everybody wants to ha go in all or nothing and it's really hard to say, okay, back up, let's start a little bit slower and then let your body get used to it. And then you can, you can move up to something like a, almost a daily fast if you want. What about guys? Because I've seen this phenomena where guys who practice intermittent fasting every day for a while, even some of the big proponents of it, it's kind of like they're pissed off all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. What's going on hormonally for, for that in that you case? You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a stressor. You know, it's a hormetic <laughs> stressor. Um, and so if you can imagine that anything that stresses you a little bit, a little bit of stress is good for your body, mm -hmm. but chronic low-level cortisol-based um, stress is not good for your mood, for your energy levels. And sometimes you will see people really burning out on that. Um, sometimes you have to kind of do a break from it, um, let your body kind of reset and restart then. Um, that's one of the reasons that I, I even recommend uh, people do cyclical ketosis yeah. in, in the Bulletproof Diet uh, to give yourself a little break from it. Yeah. Uh, although there are some people, even like Bree Schaff, who I mentioned, yeah. um, one of our ambassadors, who's like, oh, like I can go into ketosis for months and she's happy as a clam. Uh, but that's the exception, I find, yeah. not the rule. Is that what you've noticed in your practice, or yeah. are like are there rules for that? No, I, I think I think everyone uh, intermittent fasting is a little bit different because I think if you find a comfortable amount um, that you can fast, um, then I think you can do it for the long term and give given natural breaks. For example, you know, it's your daughter's wedding, or it's your you know that kind of thing. Um, and having some natural breaks the way it should be, um, I think everything is fine. Because if you find a balance for yourself, then it's not such a stressor, um, then you're okay. And yet, as long as you're not doing it every day like these people and doing it for, you know, there's people out there on the internet that are doing it for three, 48, 72 hours at a time. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I'm sure it's working great for them, but I'm not a huge fan of that. One of the problems I found when I was first playing around with, with intermittent fasting like that is that I have a pretty demanding job, especially yeah. when I was working in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in meetings all day long. You're like rushing from one thing to another. And you're going you're gonna to have dinner and then no breakfast <sighs> and then no lunch. And all of a sudden around 1130, even if I can hold it together, I can still do it. Yeah. I'm not at my peak performance in the middle of my workday. And I'm likely or I'm more likely in a way to be a little bit cranky, a little bit angry. And um, go to any of the pure intermittent fasting forums, and you'll see the kind of anger that happens when you're constantly <laughs> challenging that. Like, like it's a problem. Yeah. And and so I was like, all right, what if I still want the ketones? Yeah. And that was why I was like, what happens if you like do something that's unnatural, yeah. <laughs> which is bulletproof coffee only in the morning? Yeah. Because you would never do that, except it it has this effect on hunger, and I found my energy was up. Yeah. Um. It, that, so it was that that feeling that you're talking about that like, okay, you can do it. But are you at your best? And and if you have a life where you you can take a break and you're like, okay, I'm going to do a 48 hour fast. I don't think that's a bad thing. But if you're going to work a busy job yeah. and work out and yeah. and you're not yeah. going to like do what they do at a meditation retreat, yeah. you want to fast? Like sit here by the waterfall yeah, and we'll bring different. you some tea. That's different, right? And it's a, like it's one is a recovery purity thing, but the other one maybe is a little bit abusive on yourself. Oh my God, there's a women uh, and men will say they're so hungry at night before bed that they're like starving and they can't sleep. And so I tell them, I'll say, don't do that to yourself. You're basically beating your body up. So go yeah. and have, you know, either a spoon of coconut oil or MCT oil or some kind of something to hold you over um, through the night because otherwise you get very poor sleep. And the next yes. day um, you can't really function like a normal human being with, um, tons of responsibilities and then still not eat till lunchtime. I mean, that makes no sense. Well, let's talk about some other, so excessive intermittent fasting makes you weak. Yeah. Uh, I, some of the other things, let's talk a, a bit more about toxins. 
like what about like chemicals and food dyes in, in foods like, like tartrazine? How important yeah. are those in your medical experience? Oh my God. Um, you know, this is unfortunately such an unregulated area. It is so hard for doctors like me who I know when someone tells me that tartrazine or um, a food additive or certain food products cause problems and there's no test available to prove it so that we can go back to those companies and tell them, hey, I'm seeing all these patients um, you know, having problems with your this additive. Of course, they don't want um, people to be able to test that and to identify that except for um, you know, a few things here, like tartrazine is one of them, but there's... And tartrazine, by the way, I forgot to, it's yellow number five. It's yeah. a dye found in Doritos, right? Like yeah. I, I should have defined that. And, okay. and they took it out of medications, but they have not taken it out of foods. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so sad. Um, and it's a known um, cause of, you know, asthma attacks and allergy and all, so many different things. Um, you know, MSG, uh, it, it, the list goes on and on, um, but there's no, shockingly, there's no good test to prove that. And so still we're, we're going by history. We're basically saying, okay, um, you feel like this, or this happens to you when you eat these foods. I think it's sulfites, or I think it's MSG, or I think it's tartrazine. I think it's this, um, this additive, uh, but it's, it's so, so rampant in our food supply. It's very sad. Like when I read the packages of things um, that my kids pick up from um, the store that seems so, you know, kid, kid friendly and you read what kind of additives they have, it's, it's just shocking. It's really sad. It, when my kids go to parties and all that, like there's a pinata and it's full of like these like chemical candy things. And my kid's like, oh, this is great. The, the last time, I think my daughter had 14 lollipops. Yeah. And, and they're, they're like corn syrup and red yeah, food coloring yeah. and like some sort of acid thing to make them taste fruity. And, and they just know there's a standard deal. They can trade them in for pieces of dark chocolate. Yeah. And my kids like dark chocolate because they've been, you know, they learned to, to eat it as that's what chocolate is. So they're like dancing. It's like, yeah, I get it. And people are like, you give your kids chocolate. I'm like, you give your kids Pop-Tarts? Like my kids can eat chocolate bars all day long before they can have a Pop-Tart. Oh my and God. We're, yeah. we're totally on the same wavelength. Actually, we have... Um, dark chocolate chips, like really dark um, chocolate chips in our freezer at all times because I do the exact same thing. (laughs) I give them their dessert is, you know, a cup full of like, you know, 13, we say 13 chocolate chips or whatever. And that's like the best dessert they could ask for. And you're right. People are like, how do you, why do they like dark chocolate? That's so weird. But it's because it's, it's actually tastes really good if you get used to it. I'm sure you feel the same way because you do the same thing. But they actually look forward to that. Yeah, and my kids, like, we were at a restaurant the other day and they put some sort of balsamic reduction on the meat that we didn't want. And my daughter took a she goes, this meat's too sweet, gross. And we, we teach uh, them not to say gross about food. Yeah, but, but that's awesome. But, you know, we're like, okay, don't criticize the food. But the idea was, I won't eat this because it's too sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what happens when you train a kid's palate, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I think we should all be doing that. And it, it does, I mean, it's so enticing. I, I see my kids when they um, get Capri Suns, they're like, this is the best thing I've ever, it's not perfect. I'm, I'm not by any yeah. means perfect, but I don't bring it into the house and I don't, I try to educate them on what they should be choosing. Because, you know, yeah. we, we talked about this. At, in a lunchroom, if you have um, a whole fruit or you have a cookie, what do you think a child is going to pick without the parents telling them what to do? They're going to pick the yeah. cookie. You have to make it enticing for them. You have to educate them that I know the cookie tastes better, but there's so many benefits in eating this fruit. or not having the cookie option. Like if you give them those options, they're never going to pick it, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a constant struggle for a lot of parents. And part of what made it easier for me is that we've known this since before birth, but also I understand the, the benefits of intermittent fasting. And I also know that it takes about 30 days to starve to death. Yeah. And my kids know that too. So about twice, both of them said, I'm not gonna eat that. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a, a willful, it's like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Because it turns out you, you won't die if you don't eat. Like you can go a long time without food. It's totally okay to not eat that. We'll just put it away now. Yeah. And then the, like, I want it. I'm like, yes, you want that, but that's not what we're having for dinner. Yeah. So like you'll be eating tomorrow morning. Yeah. And they're like, I think I'll have what's for dinner. I'm like, okay. But like, it's no skin off my nose because my kids aren't going to starve. And I think for women, it's harder because you're like genetically wired to make sure your kids don't starve. But if you can yeah. just internalize <laughs> exactly. that, kids will not starve if they skip a meal. 
and they don't like skipping meals any more than we do, um, all of a sudden, a lot of this fighting about food, it, it turns out it's actually like an internal dialogue in the parents about my kids will die if they you know, don't eat their, <laughs> their whatever that you're having for dinner. Yeah, and I think, I think um, if you make it really cool for them too, and you make it, they always want, um, kids are always trying to impress their parents, maybe not when they're teenagers, but when they're younger. And I, yeah. my kids are always saying like, oh look, I put spinach in my smoothie, or like they're always, and I really praise them for it. I'm like, I'm so impressed, because it doesn't taste as good as if you did you know, sugar in the smoothie or whatever. So I want to reward them for um, wanting to you know, show initiative for that. And I think if you show them that you really care, that um, that really meant a lot to you, then they'll make more efforts to do that. And then of course, after a while, their palate is trained to like that stuff. And it just goes from there. But I'm just horrified at schools and school lunches. I just can't get over how um, they basically, whatever training we're doing at home, they're basically taking that and turning it all around. Thank God my kids go to a charter school where there really is no um, school lunch cafeteria. You have to basically pack their lunch, um, but it's a blessing. Yeah, my kids are in a Waldorf school, which is you know yeah. as hippie as it gets, but it's still <laughs> like part of the tradition is making bread. Yeah. So these, yeah. I, I don't want to say poor kids because like it's a pretty amazing school, yeah. but every kid is like, here, have gluten yeah. in the morning, yeah. and you have, and then some parents don't feed their like. Some kids get like a piece of fruit for breakfast, then they're hungry at 10. So every kid has to have a snack at 10, even if they're well fed. Yeah. If your kids have bacon and eggs, yeah. they don't need a snack yeah, at 10. Yeah, they're going to be And full. so it, that whole thing, like how do we feed our kids without chemicals and feeding the right stuff, that's going to take generations to solve, I think. It is. It is. It's really, really sad. I mean, they can start with schools, hospitals, um, you know, that kind of, <laughs> uh, they have a yeah. lot of work to do, that's for sure. So they need all need a copy of your book. <laughs> Well, there's there's something else that that drives me nuts, and and it's breakfast cereals because yes. a new study, a new study just came out. Forty two percent of them have okra toxin A. Oh yeah, which, I read that, that study. Yeah, and, and that's a, a toxin. By the way, that's the number one toxin in coffee. That's so common that it's illegal in most countries except the U.S., where we have no limits for the amount in coffee. But um, OTA is also found in chocolate, and it's found in a lot of grains. It, it's the one I was talking about that flattens the inner mitochondrial membrane, which is the power plants in the cells. Yeah. Question for you. Okay, clearly, we both agree cereal is not an optimal <laughs> breakfast for any human. Yeah. Um, maybe for chickens, it's okay. Yeah. Um, how important do you think, I, by the way, I don't know how you're going to answer this, but how important do you think okra toxin A and other toxins like that are when they're just omnipresent in the food supply? Yeah, it is omnipresent in the food supply. You're exactly right. Um, they're... I mean, anything that's like stored in bins, um, especially grains like that, um, are going to have that. I, I think it's a huge problem. I mean, I think that we're not supposed to be eating foods that are stored for months, yeah. if not years. Like if it doesn't go bad for a year, <laughs> um, that's probably not a good. So even if it doesn't taste bad, there's all these toxins on it and it's really bad for you. So I'm in agreement with that for sure. One of my rules is like, it's really simple. It's like, don't eat food that's spoiled. Yeah. And don't eat food that won't spoil. Yeah, that never spoils. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so what it means is eat fresh food yeah. because if you store it for a long time, it, those things happen and, and five parts per billion is enough to cause symptoms in people. Like that's the European limit for coffee parts per billion. It's not like you need a tablespoon of this toxin and it's not like it's the mold. And I, I think it's one of those things that makes people act like jerks without knowing it yeah. because like, it, it slowly poisons you and it builds up levels and it's not enough to, to be dangerous by certain government standards, but chronic exposure to multiple ones, I think it's, it's whittling away at, at, our, at our epigenetic uh, safety. Throughout history, yeah. we never did that. Yeah. And now constant exposure means that we have weaker and weaker successive generations. And it's one of the things, along with tartrazine, along yeah. with uh, all of the other stuff we're spraying around, it's total toxic burden. Yes, total toxic burden. And okay. I think total toxic burden is really a great way to put it because I think it's 
the environmental stressors, the food we're eating, the um, all these things. And the people are wondering like, oh, why is there so much, you know, autoimmunity, leaky gut, all these things. It's because your inflammatory factors, your IL-1 and TGF-beta, I mean, all these signals in our body are sensing um, all this buildup. So it's not just one thing or the other thing. It's all of those put together. And that's why I think um, a total body um, reboot is so much better. So meaning like, fixing the way you eat, but also fixing the way you handle stress and the way you exercise and the way you sleep and like putting it all together is gonna make you feel so much better because it's all those things put together that's causing the problem in the first place. Yeah, the, the total burden there. Uh, it, it's hard to express to people because it's, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, yeah, all these exactly, little things. Exactly. And, and and you can't avoid all the cuts. No. Uh, even if you live in a bubble. Yeah. Like there's probably still some bad EMF or something. Yeah, yeah. So like what you can do though is you can just like I'm going to choose to have less cuts. Yeah. And it, it's kind of rational. Yeah. But you get some of those um you know, those those people are practicing daily intermittent anger fasting uh, who will uh, who will be like, "Oh, I, I can take it. You know, yeah. I, it doesn't matter." It, yeah. it, in other words, if it's not at the government level, it, it, you know, it has no effect on yeah. me. And that doesn't match the studies. Yeah. Even. I, I think you're exactly right. Less cuts is what we're going for. We're not going for, um, you know, living in some kind of utopian um, environment. We're trying to minimize what you can, what you have control over, you should control. The food that yeah. you eat, the activities you do, the things you do at home, control those because you can't control everything. That's totally true. Now let's switch gears a bit and let's talk about diets because uh, there's there's actually some commonalities. People love to like like put people in, in camps. And it's like okay, you know, this is the low carb. These are the vegans. These are the gluten free and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it or not, I'm not that dogmatic about this stuff. Yeah. Like like I, I'm willing to pull from these. I've been on all those diets. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like I just want less cuts. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So. Given that there are some commonalities between my recommendations, even in like the vegan recommendations, uh, I wanted to go through like a couple diets and just like tell me what you like and don't like about them. Okay. Right. As a as a trained nutritionist yeah. and and as a physician and all, let's talk about the vegan diet. Like, what's yeah. good about it and what's not so good about it? So I think the vegan diet, the you know, I'm I I feel like vegan diet can go wrong really fast, just like vegetarian diets can go uh, wrong really fast. I'm of you know, Indian descent and people have been vegetarians for, you know, thousands of years. And, um, but the modern vegetarian diet uh, and the modern vegan diet can go awry very quickly because it's very green heavy. It's very omega-6 heavy. Um, and so I think sugar heavy, I mean, you look at the modern vegetarian diet and I think that um, just because you're a vegetarian or vegan does not make you healthy by any means. And I think that's a big concept. I mean, like I said, a lot of my relatives, I have to kind of retrain them. Like, you're not healthy just because you're not eating red meat. You're, you're also unhealthy because you're, that you're eating these sweet um, fried foods that are like omega-6 heavy and tons of grains. I mean, it's really killing them. Um, so yeah, so, I so you're, you're telling me that that naan and roti aren't actually like health foods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know when <laughs> they talk about it, they say in in history, especially in countries like India and um, the Middle East, sugar was very very expensive, especially white sugar. And so there was no sweets on a daily basis. Only if you were very very rich would you be adding white sugar to your foods. And um, and so it was actually pretty healthful. Uh, because they didn't even eat a ton of sugar and grains and all that stuff. It wasn't until people started having more money and um, farming started becoming very popular that um, it kind of steered the wrong way. So yeah, that that can it can. There's many many benefits to eating lots of vegetables, but just because you say you're vegan or vegetarian does not mean you're eating a ton of vegetables. Uh, got it, and uh, agreed. And that's where vegans and I are in alignment. Tons of vegetables, foundation yes. of your diet. Okay. Um, and also, uh, the other thing is, uh, in terms of animal welfare, I, I'll, go, I'll go up against vegans any day of the week. I kill less animals than they do, if you count mice and grasshoppers and turtles and all that, yeah. um, because like, that's part of the, the system of making uh, vegan food. So it's... Um, 
It's one of those things where I, I appreciate animal cruelty. Yeah. I, I'm against it. Yeah. Uh, lots of vegetables, I'm for it. So yeah. I feel like there's actually more commonality between vegan and bulletproof than, than lack of commonality because the environmental impact is a huge part of it. Yeah, people always ask me, they're like, what is the best way to eat? You know, um, should I do? And I, and I say to them that there's concepts of um, what you should be eating, but whether you want to enjoy a little bit of meat with that, because that's what your ancestor, or that was, that's what you grew up with, or you'd rather, um, you know, because of whatever reason, stay away from that. As long as the foundation is, um, you know, lots and lots of vegetables, um, and very clean fats, um, you basically can do whatever you want with that little, um, whatever's left with that percentage. Um, I really try to minimize grains. I'm not like, um, you know, a Nazi about it, but I, I say that most people should minimize um, the amount of grains if, if they're having problems, especially um, autoimmunity, um, fatigue, brain fog, you know, any kind of uh, bloating, GI issues, that kind of thing. Well, the problem is for many of the things that gluten does, you don't even know if you're having autoimmunity. Like it takes 10 or 20 years. Like, oops, I got, I got lupus. <laughs> Sorry about yeah. that. I wish I had figured out how autoimmunity 10 years ago. And the brain fog, the, you know, the gluteomorphine effect, all that stuff, like you won't sometimes know that until you stop having it. And then you're like, oh, wait, I feel yeah. so much better. So I always tell, I mean, I'm sure I know you do too, but you really have to stay off of it for a little while to see how good you can feel and then, you know, decide what you want to do with it. After like, I don't know, nine years, my, my father-in-law, he's in his seventies and he's, you know, walks around and like kills a moose and throws it over his back. Like he's a very healthy <laughs> yeah. seven year old. Yeah. He's like, ah, I've been eating bread all my life. You know, you and your gluten-free mumbo yeah. jumbo. So he finally went 30 days without gluten and he's like, I have a lot more energy. Yeah. I feel a lot better, even though he was already kind of bulletproof. Yeah. Right. And of course, after that, he's like, but I like bread. So he went back to eating bread and, you know, hey, more power to him. He probably doesn't have autoimmunity from it, but it was still affecting his performance. Right. All right. Let's then let's talk about low carb diets. What's good about if you just go traditional, plain, low carb versus what's not going to happen the way you want it when you go low carb? Yeah. So very low carb diets are fine uh, for short term. Well, let's put it this way. There's groups of people that can tolerate very, very low carb um, mm -hmm. diets for a very long time. In, in fact, ketosis. And um, But there's if you're doing long um, athletic feats, such yeah. as triathlons, marathons, like I was never able as a young, uh, even now, uh, because if you do a lot of activity, it's very, very difficult to maintain that no carb. I think that low carb is good, but no carb for energy and performance may not be ideal. I, I did no carbs, like one serving of broccoli a day and nothing else, just meat and fat for the rest of it for three months. And it trashed my gut. It gave me food allergies and yeah. it ruined my sleep. Like yeah. it, it was, I was trying to like replicate the Eskimo thing and yeah. it, it like I still have some of those food allergies. They're almost gone. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was kind of ruinous. But I, I do know Jimmy Moore, man. He he pulls this off. He lives I, in ketosis all the time. Yeah, it's it's really difficult if you're very active to do that. And and like you said, if you're busy and you want to perform and you're not just getting ready for a movie um, premiere, uh, you pretty much will have a difficult time maintaining zero carb. Yeah. So. But even if you're on just like a low carb, not a very low carb diet. One of the problems that I found when I years ago started experimenting with this stuff was if, if you look at like a traditional Atkins plan, you can eat low carbs, but then you're you're eating a lot of low carb junk food. Yes. Right? And like pork rinds are going to be yeah. inflammatory because they're deep yeah. fried. And yeah. you put NutraSweet, which is low carb and everything. Yeah. Like what's going to happen when people put NutraSweet or aspartame on, on their low carb food? I mean, they're going it, to, it's worse for you than... Um, uh, than eating the carbs. Exactly. Carbs. <laughs> yeah. Use sugar. Don't use fake sugar. Yeah. Um, except like stevia or something. There are some safe sugars. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a stevia fan also. Um, yeah. I definitely think that um, you can be really unhealthy because people will find ways around, um, you know, because you'll feel tired, you'll feel hungry, and then you'll find um, uh, if you can maintain that and you have very low activity levels. Um, and you can function, your brain can function, more power to you, you like these people mm -hmm. do it. Uh, but I've found from my experience and most people's experience that they can't maintain that. You're totally right. Yeah. What's good about going gluten-free versus what's not so good about going gluten-free? 
Okay, well, you know, being in the immunology, allergy, inflammation field, going gluten-free tends to be really um, a good idea for most people. And I hate to be so broad about this, but I'm really finding in my experience that um, most people benefit from going gluten-free. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, I know people will say, oh, it's just a hoax. And like, God knows it's just a, it's just a ploy by these gluten-free companies. And I, and I'm like, no, but it actually works. Like it's actually, <laughs> like it actually helps. Um, you know, as long as you're not replacing it with like gluten-free junk food, yeah. um, you're pretty much going to feel better. Most people. That is exactly why the Bulletproof Diet is a gluten-free diet. I put gluten in the kryptonite foods because there's probably 5% of people who can eat gluten and it just doesn't matter. But it's 5%. Like 95% of people, there's 20 different reasons that it's not going to make them feel good. And I just like, I love my pizza like anyone else. uh, And I can make a pretty good one with a rice crust and whatever else. And, uh, you know, I like my my cherry turnovers. They used to be like my favorite, like, dessert food. Uh, But you know what? It's not okay. It's not worth it for you. No. And it's probably not worth it for almost anyone unless you're in that 5%. Even if you tell yourself a story, like, I'm going to eat it. It's going to be good for me. Um, I needed the carbs, whatever. Like, the bottom line is if you needed the carbs, eat carbs that aren't gluten. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. You know, you won't even believe it, but... um, I was just talking to a friend, an acquaintance, um, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, well, how can you go gluten-free? Because um, we're, wh- what about if you're really active? She said, I play soccer, you know, with my adult <laughs> soccer league. And if you, you know, don't have carbs, you don't have, um, you know, if you don't eat bread, uh, you won't have energy. And I was like, well, what about eating like a sweet potato or a potato or, um, or rice or something? And she didn't even realize that that was like an alternative option for getting energy um, because people are so we've been taught that we need to eat bread and we need to um, that's where we get our energy from like it's it's been ingrained for so many years it's hard to change that but it, it sure is and I find that when people go gluten-free that sometimes they just go to the gluten-free section in the frozen yeah. cabinet yeah. at Whole Foods. Yeah. And you're like, find something in there that's not full of canola oil and high yeah. fructose corn syrup. Like, just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean it's not full of crap, right? Yeah, especially those snack bags with like, you know, whatever, gluten-free chips and gluten-free crackers and gluten-free. Yeah. I try to tell people, um, and myself too, I try to stay away from those aisles um, yeah. because there's nothing good that ha- comes out of those boxes. Like you could take gluten-free dog food yeah. and, and you could package it up with a pretty label that said gluten-free and people yeah. would like buy it because, well, it's gluten-free. It must be good for me. You're like, dude, it was dog food. Like it's not okay. Yeah, right? yeah. That's okay. why it's so hard to kind of, uh, that backlash against um, gluten-free stuff. I understand what they're saying. They're saying that people are just reading gluten-free and buying it thinking it's better uh, mm-hmm. when it's not, which is true. You have to be at you have to think a little bit like processed food is still processed food. Um, you know, sugar, if even if it's gluten-free but it's full of sugar, it's not going to be good for you. Well, we've had a chance to talk about different diets, the pros and cons, uh, not just cons, just yeah. so we're really clear on that. And we've talked about toxic mold, food toxins, autoimmunity, like all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and we're at the end of the show. I feel like I could probably talk to you for another hour because like, you're, you're my kind of doctor. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so cool. But there's a question that you haven't answered yet, and it, it's the one that comes at the end of the show. And, and okay. it's given all the stuff you know, and just your whole life, even like your, your car accident and other things like that that yeah. we didn't really get into. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to be better at everything. Like, I want to kick more ass at life. What are the three most important things I need to know? Okay, so health and otherwise? Uh, anything from your life. Okay, so I think the biggest shift um, that's going to change people's lives, like, that has really changed mine is um, embracing like an abundance mentality. So what that means for people who don't know, it's that um, just because someone around you is doing really well, doesn't mean you're doing really poorly. If someone gets a raise, that doesn't mean that you just got a demotion. If someone is doing really well, like if you're doing really well, it doesn't mean that somebody else is not. And the best example is, um, you know, there's enough, money to go around for everyone, enough food, enough um, rising tides raises all boats or whatever. And I think if you embrace that mentality, 
you become a happier person because you're not always like competing with everyone around you about exercise, health. And you also become um, more satisfied with yourself and friendlier to the people around you. I think that embracing um, that mentality and really, really trying to think about that all the time um, can really upgrade your life um, in all different ways. And then um, one of the other things is uh, know yourself, like know your own food sensitivities, know what your limits are. Like when we talked about diet, we always said, oh, but then there's 5% of people who can do this. And then there's, you know, 65%. And so know your own body, know yourself. Um, That's one of the other things. And you want three? Yep. Okay. So the third thing I would say is it all starts with food. So if you were like, oh my God, but you guys talked about like a million things, like I'm supposed to check check my house for mold and I'm supposed to like do this and do that. And I I always say to people like the first thing you can do is start with your food. If you can fix your food, um, so many things start to come into play, place. Uh, That is some amazing advice. Yeah, starting with food, it's not that hard. Yeah. But it... It just feels overwhelming for some people. And, and I wish someone had told me that when I was 16. It would have changed everything. Exactly. Right. Same with me. I, I It took me so many years of looking around and searching to find that it always starts with the food. Well, Amy, where can people find out more about you and what you're writing and your new program that's that you're working on? Oh, yeah. So um, you can go to my website, basically, www.amyshahmd, which is A-M-Y-S-H-A-H-M-D.com. Um, I do have a new online health coaching program that I'm just actually I'm in the middle of um, the launch right now. Okay. It's going to close its doors in about uh, a week from now, and then we'll have our first class. Um, and so and then it won't um, open up till the new year. And for people listening, since this is going to be evergreen, yeah. uh, so it's a week from uh, October fifteenth. Uh, so October. Yeah. It's going to be October twentieth. Uh, we're closing the doors. And okay, cool. We're going to reopen it in um, the new year, sometime in January. Okay, cool. So by the time we edit this and get it out, it might be after the doors are closed, but at exactly. least people will know about it. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. So well, th- thanks again for being on Bulletproof Radio. I'm so glad we got to meet at Mind Body Green. And oh, it was uh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's been awesome. Have a great night. You too. If you enjoyed today's show, you know what to do. Head on over to Amy's website and learn some cool stuff. That's what this is all about. And if you want to, check out the, the Bulletproof Coaching Program or just head on over to iTunes and tell someone that you like this. Basically, share something useful, share something good with someone else, and you might actually change their life. And if you don't, at least you tried. <laughs> Have an awesome night. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.